0: to held and healed. This is a podcast that is a resource filled with resources. You can find us if you are a lady, you can find us on Facebook at held and healed Christian women rebuilding after abuse, or you can find me at heatherelizabeth.org. Today we have a special guest that I am very excited to introduce you to. Um, Sarah is an author speaker trainer, and abuse recovery coach who works exclusively with women wounded by toxic relationships in the faith community. She has written several books, uh, One Face, Shed the Mask, Own Your Values, and Lead Wisely. She has co-authored Miss We Believe, Predators We Trust, 37 Things You Don't Want to Know About Abuse in the Church, But You Really Should, and also the book Safe Churches. She serves on the nationwide End It Now task force for policy on sexual ethics and misconduct in the faith community, a former clergy spouse she's worked with for 20 years in branding and media production, resource development, and ministerial support for spouses. In addition to training churches and organizations on practical ways to better respond to abuse, she provides coaching on clarity and emotional recovery. So... Sarah I am so excited to have you here today welcome to held and healed thank you I'm thrilled to be here <laughs> I just grabbed a little description there from your book it's really hard to put into words everything that you have your hands involved in but that's just a little sampling of what you do so um I think I met you through just probably other advocates that knew of you and I've been following you can. I'm.
1: I'm sorry. I live next to train tracks. And it's okay. Until I build a soundproof
0: yes audio booth,
1: this is my reality. So we are I, just doing real. I'm
0: sorry. It'll be done in like one more honk. I just had um, sirens, (laughs) sirens go by and my train, my train could go by at any moment too. So it's, it's totally what it is. So I don't have soundproof booth either, but (laughs) so somewhere, probably six months ago, I found you on Facebook and started following you and just was like, wow. Yeah. This woman, like she speaks with boldness. She speaks with clarity. And I, every time I read anything you post, or listen to any videos, like I just learned so much from you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself sure. and why you are so passionate about helping people heal from abuse? Well,
1: oh my goodness. You know what? You would start with a really broad, open-ended question like right. that and then expect <laughs> me to do that in 90 seconds. That's no, you, 90...
0: You, can, you can take more than 90 seconds. Just whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I am not known for being concise unless I have pre-scripted. You know, they they say that um, if you if you want, I remember one preacher saying, "If you want me to preach for an hour, you can give me ten minutes notice. If you want me to preach for ten minutes, I need a month." Um, um. (laughs) Wow,
0: that makes sense. It makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. So you know, Heather, I um, have gone kicking and screaming into the advocacy world. when i was a clergy spouse i always um, was passionate about working with other ministry spouses and women in the church and in the faith community and outside of the faith community Um, and i always felt very much called by god to support other women in biblical and healthy ways Toward healing in ways that reveal God's heart. And I think there's been an awful lot of focus on many, many things um, in our culture that do not reveal God's heart. Yes. And or even if God's heart is not completely shrouded, they they just don't they overtly misrepresent God's character. And there are so many of these things. There are we in the faith community, we like to look outside into the secular world. And we're like, oh, all the mixed messages to women in the secular world.
0: Mm. And we don't
1: always realize that there are a lot of toxic mixed messages yeah, to women absolutely. inside the faith world as well. And so, you know, I was raised a missionary kid. And um, I had the spectacular blessing of growing up with two parents who deeply loved and still love each other my parents have been together for like uh goodness 54 years Mm. and um and not just miserably together because they never wanted to take other options but they're truly each other's best friends and so i grew up with that believing it was possible honestly and until i was an adult i didn't realize it wasn't everyone's normal Mm. that was a bit of a rude awakening Um, (laughs) you know whiplash shock oh my goodness what this is not what it's like for everyone i call me a little innocent at the time Mm -hmm. um and so i i went into originally wanting to help other women really from this desire to keep doing god's work having been raised a missionary kid um and becoming a clergy spouse but also very, very innocent in the the battles that so many women face just to survive. And in my twenties, my very best, longest friend was the first domestic violence victim, whole systems of abuse chart, victim that I had ever really known. And that was my first introduction. Um, at the time, I did not realize that I was also living in a very unsafe and unhealthy relationship. I mean, I, I knew it was not what it should be, but mm-hmm. I I had a lot left to learn about what I was actually living with at the time. But my first introduction was my best friend surviving and clawing through the process of trying not to lose her child and trying to figure out faith after um, abuse and then secondary abuse as her church turned on her and all of the things, It's just a, a classic story. And um, then my eyes were opened to more of the truth of my own situation And, um, I became a single mom in the middle of life with two little kids and had to start everything I knew over again from scratch. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had already been a very active advocate against Mm -hmm. human trafficking and, um, speaking out against the porn industry and, um, working with my local sheriff's department, in the county liaisons um, against trafficking and the porn industry and, and how those intersect. And so I was already very much drawn to this right. type of work. Um, and God is merciful and he lets us have our eyes opened and peel back layers one at a time. Because if He just hit us in the face with everything, it's kind of like, he told the disciples, if I told you everything there is to know, you would not be able to handle it right now.
0: Right, right. And I'm,
1: I'm very grateful that I didn't know everything there was to know right then because I wasn't strong enough to handle it. I wasn't wise enough to handle it. And um, and I didn't have the tribe that I would need for the network of support to handle the future things that would be revealed to me. Um, and, and you know, for years I did branding and marketing and um, worked in media production, and just loved that work. Um, And it brought me a lot of joy and excitement and enthusiasm. And what I wanted to do was spend my life telling other people's stories, the stories of retired missionaries, the stories of people who had done great work for God. I just wanted to to put their stories into film. And that was what I was working toward. And, uh, as, as I went through all of this, the very last thing that I wanted to be was the porn chick, (laughs) the the girl who talked about all the ugly underbelly of addiction and abuse and assault and abandonment and... Anger and absence and all the things, all the a
0: words. (laughs) It's not when you're when you're a little girl and they say, little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) There's none of this. Not this is not the thing that we envisioned. Correct? No, no. (laughs) And and I kicked back against it for a Mm. very long
1: time. I was just like, no, no, no. I don't want. I don't like it when people ask me, well, what what are you working on? And then. Mm. If I answer their question at a dinner party, it's like this lead blanket just dropped over the room and everybody's scrambling to either avert their eyes or change the topic and they can't get there fast enough. Yep. And and I'm just like, I don't want to be that person. Uh, I don't, I, I, I want to do nice, happy things. Mm. I don't want to deal in the sludge.
0: Mm.
1: And God said, but... What other silver lining is there for what you have experienced, mm. except to share that with other women who don't have the same resources I've given you?
0: Wow. Here come the sirens. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Something's not this. right on my end of the world right now. Jesus be with them. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I say a lot of prayers. Um, um, yeah. You like the beauty from the ashes. And if there is, you know, one thing I've been saying lately, like once the lights turned on for me, I wanted to flip every switch to help those who are con- still consumed by the darkness come into the light. And we, we get to that place where we're like, yeah, this isn't pleasant. This isn't fun. This isn't what I would have envisioned for my life. But once you know, you know, Yeah. And you want, you really truly want to help as many people see the light, come into the light, experience healing, hope, restoration. And you do that. I mean, you do that with passion. You do that with fire and you don't back down. You're un. You're unapologetic about it. And I think. i have um, to learn that though. That does not <laughs>
1: come naturally to me. Yes, the justice gene. And being a bit of a spitfire over things that I see are wrong.
0: Mm. But
1: I was the kid who never got in trouble. I did not like breaking the rules. <laughs> I did not like bucking the system.
0: Mm.
1: Unless I knew something was wrong
0: right and if it was
1: wrong hold me back
0: Mm. because all
1: hell's gonna break loose Mm. um so very much like i mean i I grew up like reading fox's book of martyrs you know like the people Mm. who would not deny their conscience and and just this is like if it is your conscience this is what you must do Mm. and this became Advocacy became that to me over time. Like this is a thing that has to do with accurately and healthfully representing the character of God.
0: It Mm -hmm. is a conscience issue. Absolutely, absolutely. So you go, you go into the dark, You've already stated that you, you know, you've been a voice against trafficking, you've been a voice against the the dangers and the realities of what porn brings into relationships, brings into the church. So would you say that porn is an issue in the church? <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry, we're not, we're not, faci- we're not a little bit like sarcastic, are we? <laughs> no.
1: Would no. you say that that is? I think
0: I think you need to work on that a little bit, Darren. Yes, um, I, I'm just so jaded, and I've been told I'm <laughs> cynical. Whatever, whatever. I I like you. Call it what it is. And I mean, again, we can't heal from what we can't name. Exactly. So we have to we have to start recognizing and calling this stuff out and saying it exists, or we're never going to heal. It's just going to get worse yes so that
1: being said i would 1000% say that not to diminish things like covid but the if we want to talk about a pandemic
0: mm. the
1: faith community is facing a pandemic yes. beyond calculation. Mm -hmm. So pervasive and widespread that it is right now, it is impossible Mm -hmm. to fully calculate the damage being
0: done. Mm. Yeah.
1: And I believe that the The issue of sexual addiction is a scourge and a plague like there never has been. Mm-hmm. The ease of accessibility, the youthfulness of the average exposure, like as young as second grade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, these are such tremendous issues because and not just because oh my goodness they're talking about sex they're watching sex oh my Mm -hmm. and not because sex is bad or sex is dirty but because porn isn't sex Mm, that's right porn is assault that's right porn is exploitation yep porn is rage and anger and misrepresentation of something that God created to be so incredibly safe and bonding and gentle and tender and beautiful between people who are fully committed to each other.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when
1: you take that and you and you take the single most intimate and bonding activity of humans, now some might argue that intellectual conversation is intimate and bonding and, you know, all these other things. I I get that. But, but, you know, there's a reason sex sells and there's a reason sex is powerful because it is a, a powerful encounter between humans. Right. And it was created to be so it was created to be beautiful and to be that powerful bonding connection. Mm -hmm. However, when you take that and you destroy it through not intimacy but all of the exploitative aspects of pornography not to mention the adulterous aspects of pornography
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and then you expose children and youth and husbands and wives we are Experiencing a collective destruction of what God created,
0: Absolutely. and ultimately
1: Absolutely. of our view of the character of God, mm-hmm. because it hits porn hits um, below the belt on every level.
0: Absolutely, and then so many, so many yeah. people still don't want to see or acknowledge the direct link between porn and sex trafficking, like. There are still so many people that will vehemently de- deny that, they, that, that one fuels the other, but 100% it does. Absolutely. And there are very few people who are actually willingly participating in pornography that are there of their own free will, not drug, not coerced, not full of fear. Most people have been any combination of those things just to be in that place. Right. There, there can be, on rare occasions, someone who says they love what they do, but we also know at the heart and the core of that person, there's a wounding. They would not be doing that if they were whole and well. Right. And so I hope and I pray that somebody out there will hear this and will make that connection and understand mm-hmm. if you are against trafficking, you must be against porn. Like, we can't separate the two things.
1: Well, if, if, if for that matter, if you are for marriage and family, if you are for safety, you must be against porn. If you are against adultery, you must be against porn. Right, right. They are, they are all inextricably intertwined. And, and it's, it's really, I have to go back to this, it is not just about the sex. Because sexual assault isn't about sex. Sex is about intimacy and love. There is mm-hmm. no love. Important. It is uh, it is all about power and domination and exploitation and self-gratification and feeding our minds on those things, regardless of age, regardless of gender. So I'm not saying, well, this is just a man's problem. Right. Don't walk away thinking that I'm only saying that this is a guy's issue. It is right. an everyone issue. Um, but... Viewing pornography stunts empathy. That's right. It stunts and, and, and destroys intimacy and the ability to connect with other human beings on safe and healthy levels. It, the brain scans look, brain scans on porn are close, if not worse, than brain scans of cocaine users. The addiction is phenomenal. And and the difference between porn addiction and cocaine addiction or alcoholism or whatever else is that you can actually create a a sober person, you can create sobriety by removing the external substance with other things. You cannot create sobriety by removing porn because all the memories Mm -hmm. and the images and the Mm -hmm. the, the visuals and the stimuli is still held in the brain. Yeah. So it requires a complete worldview
0: reset Absolutely. Now, what are some of your favorite resources for helping people <laughs> to recover from the effects of this? Either the person who has been participating and taking that in or the spouse of the person who has been addicted to porn. Right. OK, so um, this wasn't even on our list of things to talk. I know. About, I'm like, here how, we are. How are we off on this? Because here we are. Not Apparently we need to be talking,
1: talking about, about this. Yeah, you you did not send me these talking points, but somebody must need to hear this. Somebody needs to
0: hear this, so we're going for it. It's all good.
1: Um this is this is where we just follow the spirit. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So um to answer that question, um I mean, I, at, at Wild, Wilderness to Wild is, is my organization, and at Wild, we put out a lot of material. So I would start with wildernesstowild.com and click on giveaways. We have a betrayal trauma resource list that is completely free, links to all kinds of resources, articles, books, um, organizations, podcasts, you name it. Uh, we also have a, an, an Is My Husband a Porn Addict online quiz that is completely free and it is there under giveaways on wilderness2wilds.com. Um, in addition, and, and these are all linked in that, uh, that Betrayal Trauma Resource List, um, but for both addict and spouse, um, there are resources through Betrayal Trauma Recovery, the Center for Peace, um, Dr. Omar Manwala's Institute for Sexual Health is excellent Um, Andrew J. Bauman and Christian Counseling Center has a lot of really good stuff. Um, Psalm 82 Initiative is outstanding, and I love the work that they do. Um, And all of those are linked in the Betrayal Trauma Resource List in one place to make it easy to find.
0: Um, You're the queen. You are absolutely (laughs) the queen of marketing and lists and websites and I wish, I just wish that I could, like, do all the technological things that, oh, you just make it look so easy.
1: Oh, that's That's so
0: fun. You're the... That's You're the queen. Lie, You're right? the queen of the resource lists. So we will, um I will add your link um, to the show notes, and people can click on there and go find that resource perfect. list. And perfect. So I'm going to shift. But, us Knowledge is power. That's uh, it, it, well, putting the application. The application of knowledge is yes. power. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Excellent point. But if I've you added don't that have to the them. knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've added that because a lot of people know a lot of things. That doesn't mean they know what they're doing. So truth, sister. <laughs> <laughs> the application of knowledge is power. That is, yes. that's a Heather Elizabeth original quote. I need to make a meme like out it. of that one. <laughs> but yes, yes, you should. I will share it. Yes. Okay. So I want to just shift a tiny bit, but not not. It's not really a huge shift. And let's talk about your book, Miss We Believe Predators We Trust. So, all right. What I will say about this book, it's thirty seven things you don't want to know about abuse in the church, but you really should. What I'm going to say about this book is, it absolutely, positively needs to be like the first book that any type of leader grabs first. Like, (laughs) it's an easy, it's an easy, simple read, not an easy read like emotionally, mentally, but but it's easy in that it's only what less than 50 pages and the words are big and there's lots of pictures.
1: (laughs) So if you're feeling really,
0: um, you know, this is a must, this is a must because it touches on all these ridiculous things that we believe about abuse, specifically sexual abuse, specifically, you know, involving children The things we believe that are just total crap lies, and we need to have our eyes open so that we can protect the flock. So I actually did a blog post where I typed out all 37 of the myths. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And I'm going to attach that in the show notes, too, because I think sometimes if people just go through that list and they see it really quick. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I need to grab this book. Now, I want every person that loves people, period, to read this book. So if you're in ministry, if you're in education, if you're in medicine, any field, honestly, this is good information. So... Tell me some of the like top myths that are from this book that people believe about <laughs> abusers. Like, what's like the first couple that you hear a lot of people say? Oh
1: my goodness, where to even begin?
0: I know, I know, um, it's a lot.
1: <laughs> okay, here's 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 one. Churches are safe because we're a family of believers. Mm. Um, you know, churches, it, church is a safe place. Like abusers are out there in the world and. And, and tied in with that is another myth, and that is that uh, if, if someone was abusive, I would know.
0: Oh, that's a good one, because they have a look, you know, they have a certain look.
1: Yeah, they either, either they look a certain way, or mm. I would just
0: pick up on it.
1: Mm. Um, and, you know, I, if someone is a really nice person, and I trust them, like, they can't be an, an abuser, because obviously, abuse would be obvious, and... Uh, and you know, here's another another really big miss. Um, getting falsely accused is like this huge risk to mm. good men. Um, actually, men have a far higher risk of being sexually assaulted than of being falsely accused of assault. Mm. And I don't believe that either male or female is less deserving of protection and justice. Mm-hmm. And I also believe that false allegations, like intentionally false accusations, are horrific and are a form of abuse in themselves. But statistically speaking, very often men are like, oh, we just need to stop accusing all the good men. Well, you're... A husband, your son, your father, they are much more likely to be sexually assaulted. One in six to seven men are victims of sexual assault.
0: Wow. Less than 5% of abuse allegations are false. That's right. That's right. And what we say is even in the case of a false accusation, there's still a cry for help. Yes. Exactly. So in that in that rare instance, we still need to try to help that person and understand what yes. is driving. So what is going on? It's in- such it's such a rarity. And yet when it is, we can't dismiss the other 95 percent of right. cases. And it's some ridiculously low amount of, you know, predators that are ever actually tried and convicted compared to the amount of abuses <laughs> that are committed. It's just it's Six. minute. It's minute. Six out of every 1,000 rapists will spend even one night in jail. And that is that is like something I have trouble wrapping my brain around. I just watched a 2020 episode about Gillian Maxwell today. Mm. And her brother is there saying, I know her so well. She couldn't possibly have done X, Y, Z. And then in the same breath, oh, I didn't know my sister was married. <laughs> And I was like, are you for real crapping me? Like, you you just said how you know your sister inside, outside, and upside down, and she's married, and your whole family didn't even know she was married because she's a very private person. I'm like, stop assigning people a look or a personality. Like, Mm -hmm. they are master manipulators. Right. And they know what they're doing, and they know where there is a gathering. Right. (laughs) Right. That is going to have a lot of women and children. And so we have to get smarter. We have to get smarter than this. I remember years ago finding out about someone who had molested children being involved in a church that I you know, used to attend. And I simply said to the person, and I didn't know much back then, but I knew that wasn't right. Right. And I said, you know, please tell me that he's nowhere near the nursery, that he's nowhere near the children. Oh, we're keeping an eye on him. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, no. So what is your what is your view on whether or not a convicted, and I don't know if there's a differentiation between a convicted sex offender and someone who has preyed on children. I don't know if you feel differently about one or the other, but as far as them being incorporated into and, you know, brought back into the body.
1: Right. Well, OK, so this leads us to a, a, great, a great opening to kind of refer to my book, Safe Churches, because this is where I deal with um, a lot of this information, much more in-depth than the Myths We Believe book. Um, that being said, uh, there's a number of clarification points In response to what you just
0: asked. I know it's a lot. It's a a big question. It's a big question, but I know, I know you can handle it. It is a big question.
1: Um, I love your faith in me. That's so kind of you. Um, So first of all, there are three types of offenders. The first type of offender is a pedophile and a pedophile is someone who is legitimately sexually attracted to not just underage, but like pre-developed children. Um, A pedophile is someone who is sexually turned on by kids. Someone who is a pedophile may never actually act on it or harm a child, just like someone who may be heterosexual and might live and grow old and die and never have had sex with the opposite gender.
0: They just don't necessarily, not all act on the, attraction or the, act on the
1: yes. attraction or the urge. Not all act on the attraction or the urge. So the designation pedophile is a sexual attraction, like heterosexual. Am I saying that's right or safe or, or good or healthy? No, I am not defining it morally. I'm just saying it is a designation, heterosexual, homosexual, pedophile. It's a sexual attraction. So when someone has harmed a child and people are like, how dare you call so-and-so a pedophile? I'm not. I'm not saying they are legitimately sexually attracted to children. I'm saying they harmed a child. So we can't just willy-nilly label everyone who harms a child a pedophile. Correct. Yes. And that's really Um,
0: important. It's a
1: super important distinction. Now, next you have a predator, a child predator. These are people who get off on the power and the thrill of the stalking, the chase, the grooming, setting up the situation, and they tend to be heterosexual and quite often are married and sexually active with their spouse. It is not a lack of sex that drives them to do this. It is not a homosexual identity that drives them to do this. The majority of child predators are heterosexual, not homosexual. Hmm. That's another stereotypical delusion that is not accurate. It's a myth. I don't know, which do you like better? Stereotypical delusion or miss? I mean,
0: miss shorter, <laughs> miss is shorter and easier to spell easier to spell. Um,
1: I'm all about the easier to spell. And, and I'm all about the big multisyllable words. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's, um, that's where we're different. <laughs> it's all good. We, we can provide both. Mm. Um, and so a, a predator is someone who is going to be grooming the entire group you know the, the entire community the, the parents the pastor or they are the pastor the 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 children's workers the teachers so that everyone around them will vouch for them because they have become intentionally indispensable to the community at large and beloved. they are
0: spending copious amounts of time creating their image correct and
1: these are the people who generally have between 50 and 150 Victims before wow. first arrest. Wow. And many more after, because mm. when we are dealing with criminal activity, we are required in the United States of America to have proof beyond reasonable doubt. And that is as it should be in order to have due process of law. Um, but here's the thing a first arrest very rarely nets enough evidence.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: to put someone away beyond reasonable doubt.
0: Mm.
1: It's almost never that that happens. And so then they are free to continue to pursue their predatorial actions. And quite often, they are bolstered by that, because people are like, hey, I mean, they got arrested and they let them go, so they cannot have been guilty because nobody put them in jail, so they didn't do it.
0: That's definitely a myth. That's definitely a myth. That is a myth, that's another Mm -hmm. myth. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And then the third category of offender is a child molester. This can be juvenile on juvenile. This can be something that is more in the arena of um, accidental opportunity. This can be someone who is not a calculated child predator and who is not a pedophile, but as a result of actions, a child was molested. Mm. And that makes them a child molester. Um, So it's really, really important to dispel some of the the angst around misusing these terms Mm. and also to recognize that there is almost never just one victim.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, you say with child molesters that children are collateral damage and their quest for self-gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, this definitely, this was myth 31. This was very like aha moment for me because I know I have just used the term pedophile for anyone who has hurt a child sexually. Right. And this was like, oh my gosh, yeah, there is a difference there. And you know, we are ever learning, growing, changing. Um, So this is, this is really important information. Really important. Yeah, very much. So in, in the book, Safe Churches, then you also outline the different systems of abuse, which are vast and I know that in conversations with people that I have that, you know, as long as there's not bo- broken bones and bruises that, you know, there's not abuse, but we obviously know that abuse is so much, so much more than that. And so I'm trying to figure what page you started describing those. Here we go. So I'm just going to go really quick and name the, um, the 13 patterns of abuse. Sure. This is from Sarah's Safe Church's books. It, there's child abuse, cultural abuse. Emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. financial and intellectual. There's using pets and property against them abuse. There's physical abuse, psychological abuse, social, oh, sorry, sexual abuse, social abuse, spiritual abuse, verbal. And then you talk about the systems or the, um, the patterns of abuse, which are,
1: um, well, the, the patterns of abuse are all surrounded by the core mindset of power and entitlement. Mm. And um, in that, and this this is actually additional to the book, um, but in that there are four tools, and these were originally developed by Psalm 82 Initiative, that there are four tools of abuse that every abuser uses in any context. So that's important for us to note because very often we tend like you said to assign a look or a personality trait or a mannerism or a gut feeling radar kind of thing to abuse or abusers and really abuse is a pattern Mm. it is a system of patterned behaviors And so the four tools that every abuser uses are isolation, deflection, manipulation, and intimidation. And those all stem from an entitlement to control, which acts out in coercion. And it's only successful if the victim provides compliance. So when compliance is removed, um, then it upsets the system.
0: I just saw a meme today that said something along the lines of no contact breaks the trauma bond. Yeah. I love that because, you know, when we, it's, when we step away from that constant 24 seven in your face, you know, all the things you just described, we step away from it and we start to breathe our own oxygen we start to think our own thoughts. We have somebody helping us to replace lies with truth and that no contact from that abuser or those multiple abusers begins to break that trauma bond.
1: Yeah. Now I'm going to throw out something that is, I, it, it may be new to you and your listeners and it's, it's going to push back a little bit on that terminology of trauma bond. Um, and you're welcome to, I mean, tell me what you think, um, but one of the things that Anne Blythe over at Betrayal Trauma Recovery talks about is kind of renaming the term trauma bond to a, like a manufactured emotional tether. Um, because if we, if we really break it down, um, trauma bonds are, are things that connect to people who have experienced trauma. Like you and I have both been through trauma. Um, if you and I were uh, both in the trenches in World War I or whatever together, we would be trauma bonded, mutually bonded by our trauma. But when you have. An oh, so power... not
0: necessarily bonded to the abuser, but yes. bonded to each other. Okay. Okay. I see that. So,
1: so like if you and I have shared a trauma experience, we would experience a trauma bond. Mm-hmm. However, your abuser. Is not trauma bonded to you because they're exploiting you. Gotcha. Gotcha. However, they have created a manufactured emotional tether that makes you feel obligated
0: to them. Mm-hmm.
1: And that shifts the perspective a little bit because a trauma bonding implies that this bonding goes both ways. Ah, gotcha. And it it doesn't because your abuser's not bonded to you. They like being able to take advantage of you. They want you to stick around so they can control you, not because they are vulnerable
0: to you. Yeah, the shackles are not weighing them down one bit. Exactly. Right, right. So if the the bond goes both ways from mutually
1: experienced trauma, then yes, we are trauma bonded. Some of my best girlfriends and I share trauma bonds um, because we have been through the same stuff and we're on the other side of that. And right. and yet we relate through that trauma bonding. But I have no trauma bonds with an abuser. Yeah. I got it. they I like are now bonded
0: to me. Yeah, words, words do matter. I mean, we're never going to get it 100% perfect all the yeah, time. and it's always evolving. But, yeah, it is always evolving. But, yeah, I do like that distinction between um, the trauma bond doesn't yeah. And I always thought of it as being bonded to the abuser, but you're yeah okay. right, like a yeah. Stockholm syndrome kind Yes. of thing. Yes.
1: But but I I love that clarity that betrayal trauma recovery has brought. Um, because I used to use the same term. So I'm speaking from my own sure. growth here. Um but calling it a manufactured relational tether. Really (laughs) big words again. (laughs) Big words again. But it, it really nails the one sided obligation at the exploitation that this is this is an obligation that flows, this is a tether that flows one direction.
0: Yeah, I like that. It is not a mutual pain. I like that. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So our time is coming to an end for this, but I hope at some point we can come back and talk more in depth about just spiritual abuse in general, because I know that you are a wealth of information about that. So tell our people where they can find you and all of your awesome resources. Alrighty. Well, everything is on the website at wilderness to
1: wild.com. And that includes links, social links to, uh, the Facebook page, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, you name it where we've got it all. Because there.
0: she's Sarah McDougall and she can do all that. Stuff. <laughs> oh, she knows it. how to do all the stuff.
1: Oh, uh, man, you know, minor perks of having worked in branding and marketing. Oh,
0: woman. Yes, it's uh, amazing. It's amazing. And then you have your Facebook page where you're pretty active. You have your yes. Instagram. And then last night, hello, why did I not know about Trauma Mamas? I don't know. You tell rock us rock tell us a little name. bit about that group because I know a lot so, of people need that group. Absolutely. And thanks
1: for plugging that. I got like a bunch of people who were all wanting to join <laughs> after I saw you yeah. make that comment on Um, So I actually have, I'm just going to full disclosure here. I have like half a dozen niche support groups. So um, they are all free support groups on Facebook. They're private there. We do have a vetting process to get in to try to make it as safe as we possibly can. And um, all of those are available on wilderness to wild.com. And you just click on groups and they are listed there along with descriptions. So we have one public group and then we have the trauma, Wild's Trauma Mamas group. And that is specifically for mamas who have, are, are either going through or have gotten out of an abusive family relationship. And they are, they are um, trying to raise their kids with safety and support despite having experienced trauma. And then we have a kind of a sub niche group um, for trauma mamas, with those who are either the mamas or the children are neurodivergent and uh-huh, who are good. dealing with spectrum issues, ADHD, uh, different types of special needs. Um, and we also have a trauma nanas group. It's a little bit quieter. It's a different generation, um, but. It's specifically to support grandmas. So if you are a mature woman and your daughter and her kids are going through trauma and you're trying to figure out how to best support them in a loving way, that's the group for you. We also have the wild sisterhood and the daughterhood, and those are specifically for marriage and um, daughters of abusive parents. So... um, A whole slate of niche support groups, and those are private, and we do try to make them as secure as possible.
0: I love it. I have so many people that need you, so I will plug that in my group as well. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I just, you know, we are a family. We take care of each other, and, you know, I... Yeah, I just love it, and I know there are people that that need that. So thank you so much. You're so welcome for taking time to do this today. Thank you for everything that you have invested in me, and you're investing in so many others. And I just pray for continued favor and protection over you and your ministry. Thank you. And increased boldness. You're already bold, but even more, <laughs> even more, even more. Oh, girl, be careful. So. What you pray for. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Sarah, so much. You are so welcome. Have a Bye. wonderful day. Thank you to all of our listeners at Held and Healed. Ladies, find us on Facebook at Held and Healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. And you can find me at heatherelizabeth.org. Blessings. And may you be held and healed today. Amen. Mm-hmm.